Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, welcome to To Be A Terrier. Nabi Sar here. In for the injured Stephen Chicken and join me down the line. In for the injured David Hartrick is Jordan Rhodes. How are you doing, Jordan? I'm really, really well. I'm really, really well. How are you? And how are all yeah. our listeners? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Two games to talk about, although I suspect we're going to end up talking about one more than the other, funnily enough. Huddersfield Town 2, Queen's Park Rangers 2, first of all. Fine, Dave. <laughs> Fine. Yeah. Yeah, I do you know what I enjoyed the game as well. Um yeah. I thought it, I thought it was good. I thought QPR QPR came and, and played a little bit above themselves where they have been for the last few games. I thought mm. Elias Chair had one of his better games. He's a superb player. Um mm. but the problem is he is a bit of a Matt Letitia. It is a little bit all or nothing with him. Um when he's good I- though. <laughs> Does he does he believe in various conspiracy theories as well? I I, I cannot confirm or deny, um, but he he you know he's a premier. If he could do it more consistently, he's a Premier League player. And mm. him and Sam McCullum, I thought, were the two best players on the pitch on the night. But yeah, it was it was a it was a, a good draw at the end of a long week after the Luton win. And I think some people were not not a little bit down on it but slightly disappointed by it because of the nature of it and QPR I think finished the game slightly on top but yeah it was it was broadly mission accomplished I think a lot of the response I saw on social media was actually pretty much the same as ours because the results earlier in the day had all gone town's way apart yeah. from Luton winning and that was because they'd they'd uh, you know they'd, they'd beaten Forest so all the results that could have gone town's way really did in the earlier games so by the time we got to this game it's like right we'll just don't lose and we'll hold our position because we've said before town are playing against the clock at this point playing against the number of games that got left as much as they're you know looking to pick up points to be honest and a lot of the response I saw from it was yeah that's that's a perfectly decent point they get the own goal early on Jonathan Hogg forces it in his 300th appearance for for Huddersfield Town I believe it was you know and Barbe ends up turning it into his own net and then Luke Amos gets it back before the break and it was it was pretty deserved for QPR to be fair because Town had started playing those long balls over the top and QPR soon maybe about 10 or 15 minutes in cottoned on that that's what they were doing they were looking to find Ward and Sorba Thomas who were playing as a front two looking to find them in space over the top and they just dropped their press off a little bit QPR they dropped it off to the halfway line rather than sort of pressing Town all the way and Town just didn't really have a response to that. And it was a, a similar kind of story in the second half after Carlos Corbrand made numerous tweaks to his side that made them very, very attacking for a short spell, as evidenced by Harry Toffolo popping up in the centre-forward position. Mm. We'll <laughs> talk about that goal. I mean, it was, uh, what was, was it seven or eight passes uh, when I went back and watched it. A lot of the players, a lot of town players had a touch on there, including Levi Colwell bursting forward into the, the opposition half. Uh, and a, a real peach of a cross from, from 
from Ollie Turton after a bit of side to side switch of play via John Russell. Uh, it was a you you said after the game that was one of your favourite town goals all season, Dave. Yeah, it it was. It's a goal they haven't scored anything like enough of, which is is shifting the ball into a decent position and then just feeding the striker in a conventional way. Um, the striker this time was Harry Toffolo, <laughs> um, <laughs> but. It, the way they controlled and they they opened the space out and they opened the pitch out as well, I just thought was was excellent and it was just a yeah brilliant ball from Turton that really it was just begging just anyone just to get ahead on it and I did I did enjoy it. It's it's I know there'll be sort of a lot of people will point to better goals a lot. I think John Russell's on Monday is probably going to win goal of the season. Um, I think it'll be that or Ward versus Reading. I think recency bias will make yeah, Russell I agree, the I agree, I agree, but I think um, it's between those two. But that that for me is just, just bang up there. It's just a really good, competent, excellent move. With it. They shifted the midfield over to one side, then they shifted the whole defence mm. over to the other and they left the space in the middle to exploit and they did just that, just excellent football. Yeah, and uh, again, I thought that was the right change and the right approach, but it was disappointing that Town just didn't keep that up because they yeah. were causing, causing QPR all kinds of problems and then after they went back ahead they seem to they do they, to, they have done this this season though isn't mm. it this is a trait of going ahead and then we've not seen it for a while it's the first time we've no, seen it for a good long time i think uh, going ahead and then dropping 10 yards which is is i don't know i, I i'm sure it's not an instruction <laughs> i'm positive no. it's not a tactical thing but it it has happened a time or two hasn't it ultimately yeah i think not for a while it was more of a hallmark when we were complaining in sort of november and december when they had that little the closest thing they've had to a bad run of form this season really where they they kept blowing a lot of leads but you know we talked last week about how much better they've been at not blowing leads this season so of course odds law is that then they go and <laughs> blow, a, blow a lead twice against qpr uh, and you know i carlos Gorbrand said after the game he felt it was the right result a fair result I think QPR probably can feel a little bit hard done by, to be honest. They had a, a chance late on, another Amos header it was, where they should have won it. But Ilias Jared got the goal five minutes after Toffolo had, had given town the lead. Probably two, the timing on the two goals probably didn't help, to be honest, for town. Mm. Because you feel like if they could have got to the break, they would have reorganised and, and stopped QPR gathering that momentum and, and you know gone in 1-0, maybe gone and made it 2-0. And then the form QPR were in, you, you expect they would have crumbled. But... And then the second goal, they get it five minutes after Town have just taken the lead again. And to me, I thought there was only looked like being one winner there, which was QPR. But, you know, a decent point in the end. You know, the, there's not much more to say about it. And I think it's, I mean, is there anything more to say about that game? Bearing in mind, we've got another to talk about. Uh, QPR's black kit is horrid. It's still better than their, their home kit, which is... I think the worst kit in football. I think I said this in part of my screed against Reading recently. I don't know. I don't mind hoops, but I don't. I don't like black and gold. Black and gold is awful combination. Since I was a kid, I've just. I've always thought that that blue and white hoops looks really like tin pot club. It looks like some eighth club, eighth tier club would wear. But that's just me. It's very. It's very creator club on Football Manager, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, and I don't mind the red and white hoops or green and white hoops. It's just blue and white hoops. Anyway, Huddersfield Town then went to Middlesbrough on Monday. 
and won 2 0. And not the top 20 described it as the perfect away performance. I don't think there's a better way of putting it. It really was, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was. It was. They, they held them at arm's length. They looked the better side. I think they sensed quite early on that Borough were tired. Um, you know, like. I, yeah. I don't I don't I, we're a town podcast and I don't want to talk about Borough and and where they went wrong tactically. I I think they just a very tired team. They didn't rotate as much as Town did and they'd come off the back of that draw at Bournemouth and Town just capitalized and took full advantage and all credit to them and I said in the um I said in extra time for the club and I think I said it on Facebook live as well. I think it's a game where we have to give Carlos Corbran a lot of praise because yeah. I think he got his changes right. I think he got his formation right. I think he got his shift of shape at half time right, and I think he got the subs right as well. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I think away performances are often manager driven because they're often about getting the finer details right, and I think Corbran did. Yeah, they've had it a few times this season, Town, where they've either had a long away trip and then a home game a couple of days later and they've, they've looked tired themselves. You think of those Millwall and Bournemouth, there's a whole list of them I put in the five conclusions. It's happened a few times this season and they were on you know, on the right end of it on this time. The fixture list will do that now and then. But as you say, I thought tactically they were bob on. I, I'm curious to know if that would have been Town's approach if they hadn't been forced into the changes they had to make because... I think if you look at the players that had to come in, Levi Colwell was out with a, a hip injury. Danny Ward had gone off against QPR at half-time. He's got a hamstring. Both of them had scans on Sunday and they've not revealed anything serious. But as of the press conference after the game on Monday, they, they couldn't say whether they'd be back for Friday or when they'd be back. But I think they're, they're hopeful that those are minor issues and that they'll be back I mean it's a few weeks before we we get to the playoffs so you'd hope they'd be back in good time for that and and able to play but the players that came in obviously it was Naby Sarr and Jordan Rhodes came in for for those two plus Pippa came in as well for Danel Sinani and but I I, you know when you think about Rhodes and Sarr the two things you would say about them straight off the bat are Jordan Rhodes doesn't like playing as a lone striker he likes playing in a pair and Naby Saar doesn't like playing in a back four he likes playing in a back three so those two things you add them together and you've basically got well we're playing three five two then but I wonder whether Carlos might have done that anyway even if it had Cole Will and Ward available because I thought it was exactly the right approach for the game plan they had and, and how to beat Borough yeah I, I, I don't disagree with that I think big part of Wilder's system wherever he plays and a big part of Borough's firepower really is is to get balls you know forward into wide areas very quick yeah. that's the whole point of having overlapping centre backs which is what everybody raves on about so having a 3-5-2 where you've got a little bit more protection because it played as a 5-4-1 off the ball um, yeah. and when I say it played as a 5-4-1 I mean it, it, there, there were times where we were watching it first half we were sat together in the press box and it was literally a line of five a line mm-hmm. of four and then Jordan Rhodes in the centre circle so they did it pretty perfectly and they, they stopped that space they tried to put a man in behind Harry Toffolo first yeah, half Isaiah Jones it was he, he struggled I, I thought Town needed to go into the game and that was the one area he really looked yeah. at and worried about because he you, he threw himself into that foul on Jones, didn't he? Um, after a while, it appeared in the the first half, and you turned to me because you were at the game as well and said, "You don't often actually see Harry Toffolo do that," but no. that felt very like a 
a combination of frustration from him and I'm going to leave one on you so he can't run yeah. quite as fast. And it, he got himself together tough and he was much better second half. Um, yeah. But it was, yeah, I thought it did really, really well. I th- like, Hoggy was perhaps the only player who struggled a little bit on the ball, but also got through an incredible amount of work off it. Yeah. Um, and I think it was, you pointed out that there was four players that had you know, by player ratings, etc., their best games, which was uh, Saar, Pippa, Rhodes and Turton. Yeah. And the fact that you've got two players in nominal defensive positions and then Pippa as well, who is acting as your right back effectively, having their best ever games, it's no surprise you end up with a clean sheet, is it? No, exactly. And I thought Tom Lees as well was magnificent. Nabi Saar, as you say, was one of those four who I thought had their best game was was brilliant. And Toffolo's second half, that he, you know, he he didn't certainly didn't have the issues he had in the first sort of twenty thirty minutes in the second half. I can't think of of too many times that that Borough really got past him. It was really comfortable for Town defensively because of all the, the good work yeah. they did, and obviously that applies to all eleven players. You know, I, I lost count of the number of times Jordan Rhodes was up. Uh, oh, sorry, back for a set piece and was getting up and nodding the ball away. Uh, he was brilliant at both ends. Again, another player who grew into the game. You spotted that Carlos Gorbrand had a word with him mm. during uh, during the break when Sorba Thomas was down injured midway through the first half. But yeah, I mean, it was a formation that was set up when you've got three centre-backs and 3-5-2 has always been a, a counter-attacking formation anyway. It's it's sort of the classic counter-attacking formation is 3-5-2. First time we've seen it, by the way, since Sheffield United away, where mm. it was a very similar thing that it was used to, to really good effect to frustrate the opposition and look for those opportunities on the counter. But they got the, you know, they're, they're looking for, Carlos even said after the game, they're looking for set-piece goals and counter-attacking goals. And they got one of each and it was two players, two players who'd come in for injured players who got them. At Sorba Thomas, free kick from a shooting position, really, that he crossed for Jordan Rhodes to head back across the six-yard box to Saar. And then the second goal on the hour, it's a break. Pippa wins the ball in the middle of 50-50 ball to get it to O'Brien and suddenly Town have got... A, a two on three and Rhodes holds his run really well he, you can see he's almost crouching down to slow himself down to make sure he stays on side and Lewis O'Brien just draws his man just far enough that he can release Jordan Rhodes and it's a lovely left footed finish into the top corner and you know I've even spoken to Borough people who have said it was nice to see Jordan Rhodes playing so well because he's he's well respected there and well liked there as I think he is practically everywhere he's played but brilliant to see those two players come in and put in such brilliant performances yeah absolutely I think Rhodes I mean me and you giggle about it sometimes but he is genuinely the nicest man in the world if you if you talk to him um yeah if if him and Carol Lighting ever to get to a door neither of them is going through it first they'll be there for hours so he, he, it's always nice from that point of view but he's I wouldn't say he struggled because I think there was that spell um in the unbeaten run where he was coming on and doing exactly what Carlos Corbin yeah. wanted him to do and he was affecting games but he's not started a game and been able to influence it whereas there he started a game he had 25 minutes where he was trying way too hard way too hard and he was 
I pointed out to you he kept taking up funny positions where he wasn't giving himself enough of a chance to press a defender, but he was also too not deep enough to really affect anything in midfield. He was just get, sort of perpetually caught in this no-man's land. Then Sorbel went down and he was down for a couple of minutes and Carlos Corbin spent the whole time talking to Rhodes and... He came back on and he just played in a different way. He played a little bit higher. He played a little bit braver. Uh, he committed to things a little bit more. And, yeah, he was he was just really, really good. We're going to give him the assist, aren't we, for Sars goal? Yeah. I mean, strictly it, it, speaking, like, Opta, if that was a Premier League game, they wouldn't give him the assist, but we're going to give it to him, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. In the same way that, you know, if you have a shot on goal and it takes a deflection on the way in, but it was going in anyway. You you keep you don't count it as an own goal. <laughs> I'm not counting that as an own assist. So I, I think Borough's defending on that that Sar goal just showed how tired their minds were. And I think you you've got a side there who've had a new manager come in who's completely changed the way they're playing. Is demanding a lot more from them fitness wise, and that game was just a game too far for them. So Town did the. They got their game plan right. They played it perfectly, and they just exploited that. And it was it was really really good to see because over the last couple of years, me and you have watched Town, and we've got so frustrated with Town sort of playing into other teams' hands constantly and just being really easy to play against and being tactically a bit naive or tactically a bit obvious. And here was Town doing to another side what what teams did to them last year and the year before in in working them out playing around it and then when that team adjusts still having another answer still having another plan b that that gets around it in the same way town could have won that game five now and i i honestly taking the temperature of the crowd as they were walking out i don't think borough fans would have complained they they thought they there were a lot of I spoke to a couple of borough fans as well. I was waiting to do extra time for the club in the stand and they thought town were superb on the day and I don't disagree with that I, I just thought it was a really consummate professional excellent tactically disciplined performance their away form this season has been really really good and when you look at their record against sort of the rest of the the top 11 when I looked at it the other day and I picked 11 because that's that takes you down to Coventry who are sort of the last team with any kind of realistic faint hope of getting into the playoffs their record against sort of the, the rest of the top 11 away from home is is better than anyone outside the the top two apart from Preston weirdly who I think that's probably uh that's probably gone now since they got hammered by Fulham yesterday but Yeah, their away form has just been excellent against those big sides, more so than their home form, actually. They've picked up more points per game in those sort of, you know, promotion six-pointers than they have at the John Smith Stadium. Do you think that's a a big advantage going into the playoffs, which I'm joining you now in saying is is pretty much in the bag? Um, Yeah, I I think it's... I I actually think it's quite reflective of Carlos Corbran's management in that... For a home game, you're the team, apart from when arguably when you play like Bournemouth or Fulham, for a home game, you're the team that needs to ask the questions and be on the front foot and play in a different way. For an away game against a really good side, it is about systems and the finer detail and the one-on-one battles and tinkering and adjusting and doing all these things. And that's what Carlos Corbran is good at. That's where he really excels and come comes into his own. And it's not just Carlos Cobran. I think we, we say his name a lot 
and we forget that he's got coaching staff helping him do that and he's got a team of analysts who are coming to him showing him where there are areas to exploit and he's got the faith and the bravery to trust them and and do that and it does make a huge difference because last season our single biggest criticism of Carlos Corbran was that he was trying the same things the same Mm -hmm. way and expecting different results and this season there's been none of that there's been none of that he is tinkered when needed he's adjusted he's i mean how many formations have they played steve a 433 a 343 a 352 a 4231 a 442 <laughs> i keep track of it seven seven different formations they started in the league this season and that's just talking about the shape on the ball they play three different shapes off the ball as well yeah so i think when you have an away game and the these like real fine details and fine margins really come into play that's where Corbin and his team really are at their that's what they love you know that ultimately that is their that's very much their jam i think it's funny that though because and this is something we'd sort of said privately before and we're just waiting for sort of an opportunity to flesh it out into a piece and maybe i should have headlined it as this to to get the extra clicks but there we go the <laughs> the 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 Further away he has gone from things that you would describe as Marcelo Bielsa hallmarks, the better his side have done. So the first thing to go this season was the intense man-to-man marking. That went because it just didn't work last season. Leeds had players that were capable of doing it. Town last season didn't. Maybe they would now, but they got rid of it because it wasn't working and you wouldn't switch back to it because their defensive record has been so much better this season. 18 clean sheets, I think, is it now for for Lee Nichols? Yep. Uh, which puts him outright fifth in the all-time individual goalkeeper clean sheets charts for, for Huddersfield Town. Um, and then the next one is, you know, sticking to the same shape, being dogmatic with shape and having a philosophy. He even said in a press conference last week, there are managers who will do the same thing every game, no matter what, and there are managers who will adapt, and he is obviously one of the latter at the moment. That is not a Bielsa thing. It's 3-3-1-3 three, three, no. three all the way. And, you know, you look at the the intense training methods, the murder ball. We've had a couple of players, including Tom Lees, has said, you know, he spoke to the, to his teammates about what it was like last year. And he understands that it's less intense this year than it was last year. And you can see that we were talking sods law. I, I said to you, I'd looked up how many hamstring injuries because when I was doing the research for QPR, I noticed half their squad were out with hamstring injuries and I thought you know what town haven't had they had a million of them last year and I'm, I'm not sure if they've had one this year I think Danel Sonani missed one game with a with a bit of tightness uh and then obviously now we've got we've got Danny Ward as well but those are the only hamstring injuries in the first team town have had all season which I think sort of obviously the schedule was a big factor last year you forget mm. that that, that, that yeah. was a you know they took a month off the season and crammed everything in and then the other thing is this obsession with having control and possession where you know when Leeds went up they had the highest possession in the division town of won that game against Middlesbrough with 31% possession. They got the draw against QPR 48%. Against They beat Luton 46%. You know, they've even when they beat Birmingham, who are by no means a great side, they're really struggling this season, 40% possession for town because that was the right approach on the day. And I think we're seeing Carlos Corbrand coming into his own a lot more this season. You know, he's when he came in, we lost count of how many times people had rock up at a presser who'd never been to a Carlos Corbrand press conference before and ask a Marcelo Bielsa question, which still mm-hmm. happens now and then. But 
I think we're well past that now. He's his own man, and he's shown that he's his own man, and Town are winning because of what he's doing on his own terms. And, you know, we, we've we gone out of our way to praise him a lot recently, but I think we kind of have to because, I'll be honest, I've done a complete 180, in my opinion, on him. This time last year, I was practically writing Carlos out stuff after the, the 5-2 at Blackburn, and... You know, my, my opinion of him could not have changed more over the last 12 months. Yeah, I, I think f- for me, I th- I think we need to talk about it in the sort of season review at pod at some point we'll do. I, I think there are, there are still a couple of issues, but I think oh, yeah. the, the, not the, level, the level of learning and there is just unbelievable because I think last season we both felt a lot of it was on Corbyn's shoulders. It was... Mm tactically getting it wrong it was Rotation. blowing the players up it was oh, there was there was a lot that unfortunately you have to you have to put on Carlos's shoulders but it was his first full season in sort of senior management in a in, in a high level yeah. league and i think we were we did say that at the time as well we did make that caveat a few times i remember um but I think this is his second, and you can see the level of learning, and I think that's probably reflective of the style of coach he is. He is an intense, fine detail coach, and now he's sort of learned the lay of the land. It does, just throwing forward, it does make me think that if, like halfway through a season, if your club was in relegation trouble, he is arguably the, the last person you'd bring in to be a firefighter, because he's just not a firefighter, is he? he he's got, he needs time to build and time to get his ideas over and time to learn the landscape himself. So yeah, I think he's done a phenomenal job and it's not the first time this season that I've sat here on these podcasts and said this was a manager's performance and this win at Borough was a manager's performance. He got everything right you know he it's it's no exaggeration to say that the three points really are down to Carlos Corbran because he was he was brave and like I said he got all the changes right he got all the in-game stuff right he even got the subs right and that's that's phenomenal that's that's massive and when you look around in the championship I don't it's a wider discussion but I don't think it's a great league but there's just not very very good managers in there and Carlos Corbran is a very good manager that's where we are with him now he's a very good manager he stands out like a sore thumb he really does in a in an ocean of mediocrity in that league and yeah kudos and credit to town for keeping hold of him keeping him there being brave and and backing him yeah the, the there isn't a younger manager than Carlos Gorbran who is higher in the the league pyramid the English league pyramid than than Carlos Gorbran and the next one that he's the 10th youngest across the top four divisions and the next one down who is higher than him is Mikel Arteta at Arsenal who is the, the 15th youngest so there you go could argue Arteta is underperforming as well so <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Very bright young manager that Tanner got there. And also, that win against Borough means he's now won more games than he's lost as town manager, which has, has taken pretty much all season to get there. But more importantly than that is what that result does for town in the league table, of course. The the playoffs are not quite mathematically guaranteed. Carlos Coveran says he, he doesn't believe in mathematics in football, which I think is up there with the future doesn't exist um, as a as a quotable. But I think it's all but done. <laughs> you know, obviously you were saying it last week, Dave, and and it really, really is now. I mean, that was a phenomenal return. We were sitting here two weeks ago saying if they got four points against Luton, QPR, and Middlesbrough, we'd consider that an excellent return, and they've got seven. So one more win would guarantee it, or 
Millwall drawing a game and Middlesbrough losing a game. That that would do it. So over the course of the those nine, sorry, ten games that those three teams have between them, you've got to say Town are pretty much there, particularly since they're playing bottom club Barnsley on Friday, who they could relegate or would relegate unless Barnsley were to win. Uh, so and they <laughs> almost are, they are actively bad. Barnsley, yeah. I've done them a few times. They are terrible. They're, they're Peterborough level bad. They've won one away game all season. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you can't take anything for granted. I think, but we can also completely take this for granted. I think. Um, so we're sort of, you know, we've already started looking ahead to the playoffs and writing towards the playoffs. And I think these <laughs> these next three games are, are going to be quite difficult to cover in a way, really, because everyone's already looking forward to the playoffs. They're looking at who are we going to get? How are they going to do? What's the record like? What are the omens? <laughs> All of that kind of thing. And, and I'll hold my hands up. We've sort of fallen into that as well, just because I think we have to. But what is the priority and what is the approach for these next three games do you think i i i said it on the the extra time show for the club so apologies if you you're hearing me repeat it again but i'm not a massive proponent of resting loads and loads of players because i think momentum is a huge thing Mm -hmm. and i think that at this point of the season you have to accept that two-thirds of your squad are pretty much in the red zone there's nothing you can do about it it's just the nature of a a season and sometimes hitting pause even for a couple of weeks can actually do more harm than just keeping them going so I would make a couple of adjustments but on the whole I would treat them as just normal games if I'm if I'm honest um, and I, I would have pretty much a full full strength side out Sorber picked up a knee injury we mm. don't know what the issue is if there's any issue there just rest him for as long as it needs there's no point bringing anyone back before their time but like is it worth taking Harry Tofflow out for the next couple of games I was like no I don't think it is just <laughs> just keep him in there and keep him winning finish the season really really strong and come into the playoffs with a real skip in your step and like ultimately they've got what five or six days before the playoff semi-final from the last day of the season in terms of a championship season that's plenty of recovery isn't it that's plenty of recovery so yeah i i'm a proponent of just just keep doing what you're doing don't adjust anything don't change anything and then just carry that forward into the playoffs this is it it's over a month well over a month before we actually hit the playoff final assuming they were to get through a semi which obviously you can't assume in the playoffs it's a complete lottery really but I mean they do have a few injuries at the moment Matty Pearson is going to be touch and go for the playoffs at best uh, I think more like I think don't count on having him really mm. do you think Naby Sarr has done enough to, to suggest he should play in a back three or if they were to play back three would you stick with Turton or Hogg I think the nice thing is I think that they've got options now. I think Naby yeah. has genuinely given them a, a, a has genuinely asked them a question, and I think that's a that's a nice position to be in. Realistically, neither of us think Naby's going to be there next season. Um, his contract's up in this summer, and there's certainly no whispers of offering him a new one. And I wouldn't offer him a new one just on the strength of a couple of really good recent performances. But yeah. I, I, I would always be fearful playing Naby in a two, yeah. always, yeah, but in a three, yeah, absolutely fine. And I think Turton, I mean, we could talk about Turton quite a lot, but he's he's got to the point now where he's just so dependable. He's yeah. he's 
I mean, I spoke, I, I think I said in the Facebook Live, he's becoming a bit of a Gary Neville in that, admittedly, you're never going to get a 10 out of 10 out of him, but you're you're never going to get less than like a 6 or 7, is the thing. He's just becoming remarkably consistent. And I'm just not worried about Pearson's absence in the same way I was when... You know, at first when we the first came through in the press that he was likely out for most of the most of the season, it was like, oh no, that's that's a huge blow. But then it's how quick things change in football, isn't it? Now you just think, yeah, okay, <laughs> they can cope with that. It's fine. Yeah, I think with Nabi Sar, we've seen enough of him to know that he can put in a nine out of ten performance as we think he did against Borough, and then yeah. the next game put in a four out of ten. Um, so that's that's just the nature of him. I think if I were playing a three and Colwell was fit, I would stick Turton or Hogg in there rather than mm. rather than start Naby Sar, particularly as it you know it leaves you without a centre back on the bench. Then, but I mean, at the other end, Jordan Rhodes. We we talked about we had this debate recently, but I wonder if we might have a change of thoughts on that because I think. Danny Ward has, even before his injury, was not quite hitting the levels that he had when we had the discussion about whether it was worth playing him and Rhodes together. We've seen an excellent performance out of Rhodes. We know he prefers playing in a two. The big objection to us to to saying stick Rhodes in alongside Ward previously was you're taking too much off Danny Ward. But when you see Jordan Rhodes play like that, you think, oh, actually, it might be worthwhile. Would you... If Ward is back fit, would you give that a run out over the remaining three games? See how it fares. It, it's a difficult one with Danny Ward because we we spoke about it on another podcast. The issue with Danny Ward is that nobody does what Danny Ward does. So don't do what Danny Dodd don't. Finished. Have you got that out of your system, yeah. Stephen? Yeah. Um, Cut that. So, however, however you replace him, you can't sort of replace him with Jordan Rhodes and just play the same way. It requires a like a like they did against Middlesbrough. It requires an adjustment to your your whole focus in attack. So, it's my honest answer. There is, I think it depends how you want to set up against separate opponents because there are some games where you want a runner there, trying to not not do everything that Danny Ward does, but certainly doing the pressing job and the closing job and stopping that passing lane into midfield, which is what Danny Ward is... I mean, I think he's probably the best in the league at it, isn't he? Yeah. But there are other games where you want, you're want you on the front foot and you know you're going to load the box up with a few balls. That's where you want Jordan Rhodes. That's where you want a, a, a sort of a proper striker. And I don't mean Danny Ward isn't, but you know what I mean when I say that, mm-hmm. a sort of more of a centre-forward. So they have got options. They've played Sorber up with with Danny Ward and I think Sorba could play with Jordan Rhodes and effectively do his running for him. I think Josh Caroma has been sort of out of this conversation for a while. The one thing I would say is there's three games here, potentially two of them might not have anything on them. Is it worth giving Josh Caroma a run as a centre forward and seeing if you can get him a goal and get his confidence up? That may be one thing I'd look at. That may be one thing I'd look yeah. at, but I don't Personally speaking, I don't think the answer is Danel Sonani, which no. who he, he's an odd player, Steve. <laughs> I, I, I we've we've literally got potentially three to five games of the season left, uh, six games, I should say. Hopefully, I I still don't know what I think about yeah. him. I still we, we had, don't know what I think about him. We had this discussion a week or two ago, so we'll not we'll not go into that again, but. Well, that, that, that's the thing. I think maybe if Sarhan and Rhodes hadn't come in, I'd be saying the same as you and be saying just just stick with what's worked. You know, the, the 
the risk of injury is what it is, and I think match sharpness and momentum are important as well. But just seeing Saar and Rhodes play as well as that and seeing the couple of injuries they are picking up at the moment. And to be fair, you know, Pearson's was a, a collision injury. Thomas was a collision injury. So it's not like the last season where they've had four players all go out with a hamstring at the same time and it's it's fatigue, muscle fatigue injuries. So it's, you know, I'm not saying that they're we're expecting more injuries out of them because I'm not. But, you know, well, that's all the more reason to keep the same team. But then... <sighs> You look at Sarum's and Rhodes playing like that and you think, actually, is it worth giving Josh Caroma a couple of games to see what he can do? Is it worth giving Josh Ruffles a game, not not a couple of games, but a game to to make an impression? Is it worth giving, although less so with him, but, you know, there's a couple of players there, Carol Lighting, maybe even Aaron Rowe, just as a, you know, as a, as a surprise wild X card. factor. Yeah, a wild card player. Is it worth bringing him up and saying, right, go and impress me and if you do well you're on the bench of the playoff semis kind of thing I think there's a four or five players there that you could do that with Tino Andre and Carolitin Carolitin wasn't even in the squad against Borough and you know every time Carolitin's not on the team sheet all the other Huddersfield Town fans should be asking where's Carolitin <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, that was yeah, that was a strange one to to not even be. Ni- I mean, I presume Kamara was nineteenth man. Etienne Kamara was nineteenth man, mostly to get him some experience and get him in with the team because we know he's been training with the first team as well recently. We're seeing him in the the YouTube videos that the club have done the behind the scenes. But do you think uh, that's a strange one that he's not been involved in the squad? Uh, yeah, no, like there's no injury yeah, just to confirm. Yeah, from the point of view of like, we all know how talented Gary Lighting is and and what he can do, and he was a bright spot in a dark season last mm. year. But also, I think there are there are other reasons why legitimately it's you can leave him out. I think one, the squad is just much better. Two, the thing I told you about, which is just Gary Lighting sort of mentally being a reminder of last season and how bad things were, maybe comes into it a bit, and see. John Russell is the the man you're hoping he's yeah. going to play 30 to 35 games next season. So, you know, I I have my reservations, but I completely put my stock in put your time into him if if as I said if if you're hoping he's going to play 2 thirds plus of the season next year, get him on the pitch now, get him ready, get him where he needs to be is the thing. So, yeah, I it's just it's hard because we all know how good Carol Lighting is, don't we? That's the thing. He was a real difference maker at times last season and it feels frankly unbelievable that he is so far down the pecking order now, but such is such is the way, isn't it? I think he's a victim of I think he's very similar to John Russell and I think they signed him because Alex Vallejo was injured and they wanted that ball playing central midfielder and Literally, as soon as that, I think that was it the day or two before they'd signed him. John Russell had played against Barnsley in the FA Cup and done well, and he's not been out the side since. So, yeah. and I, I think I, the other thing is, I, we don't know what's going on on Iting's side of things because he will have by right sort of come. He will. <laughs> He will have come back to the club with a bit of a fanfare and they did make a bit of a fuss about it and he will have realistically been expecting to have not played in every minute, far from it, but I think he will have been expecting to... At this point, at to least, play more than more than six games, yeah, from the bench, yeah. And he, I think, he would have thought at this point of the season that potentially he would be starting games. 
you know, not straight away, but but by now he would be starting, and it's just not not happened. So we don't see what goes on in the training ground. We don't know how he's how he looks in the practice games, etc. So there there are there are lots of factors there, but I think you have to take it as a positive of where this squad is right now, rather than a negative in terms of why can't we fit him in. Well, this is it. It's exactly. I think. If it weren't for his league position, you would have people going, why isn't he playing, clamouring for him to play? Because there is a tendency uh, for football fans to do that when a player's not been in the side and things are going badly. It's they're, they're the, the solution to everything. Joe Colin, as we call it. Yes, yeah. But, but because things are going well, it's like, well, fine. <laughs> like, it's fine yeah. that he's that he's not been playing, really. Um I think he, as I say, I think he's he's. When you look at his strengths and John Russell's strengths, they're very similar. You know, they're both ball players. Neither of them are particularly quick, and John Russell is better in the air. So I think it it really does sort of come down to that. So yeah, it is what it is. Tino Andrian as well came off the, the bench against QPR. We'll touch on him quickly because we've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Is he going to make an impact? We saw what a talented player he is, and I think we had the discussion about him recently, so let, we'll not labour the point, but it's sort of running out of time for him to really impress, and I think a lot of town fans are feeling a bit frustrated and and let down by the signing so far. I, I think that's a tad unfair on him, personally, because he simply hasn't been fit, but... It's it's running out, isn't it, for for him to make that that position his own. It is. It, his fitness was clearly worse than I think anybody thought, and, and then he had, he had setback, another little yeah. setback as well. But I I still I stick by what I said the other week, which is I think what you do with Tino Andrin is you you look after him, you get him back as fit as you possibly can, you make sure he's happy you send him back to Chelsea at the end of the season and then say, look, we've looked after him. Can we have him next season? When you can have him for a full pre-season and, mm. and actually see the best of him because he's a very, very talented player. A very, very talented player. It's just he's been a very injured player and yeah. I would I would just adopt potentially the long-term approach with that one. Yeah, and the other one, you've already mentioned Josh Caroma came on. You mentioned trying too hard. In relation to Jordan yeah. Rhodes, I think that's yeah. been the story of Josh Caroma's season. Unfortunately, he looks desperate to get on the score sheet. He looks, he looks like he's. I feel a bit sorry for him, to be honest, because you can see he's working his socks off and trying to make an impact, and he's almost trying too hard with it. He, yeah. he looks a bit desperate, and we've been saying, I think, since about October, he looks like he just needs to relax a little bit. He needs a couple of goals mm. so that he can relax into his game a bit more. Yeah, and it's incredibly difficult to do that when you're only yeah. getting minutes off the bench. That's that's the big issue because you're constantly like I can't. I can't tell you how difficult it is to come into like a sort of really tense championship game with like, I don't know, 30 minutes left to play and just pick the pace of it up and the context of it up straight away. Mm-hmm. It's really, really difficult. Really, really difficult. And we we went to that Barnsley away game and we got we got a little bit of stick for saying we weren't impressed with his performance because a lot of town fans were sort of saying well he was the only one looking to make things happen what me and you what me and you saw was a player who every time he got the ball he was trying to shift it onto his right foot and just hit it at goal from any angle any situation any amount of defenders in him and it was driving us absolutely mad 
I don't think he's got out of that headspace, if no. I'm honest. I think well, he's there were, still... There were, two, there were two against Borough, weren't they? One he was clean through yeah. on goal. Similar situation to Rhodes. And he just... The keeper came off his line well, to be fair. but He, he did, he, he did. But he completely telegraphed what he was going to yeah, do. Exactly. And roll it under him. You, like, you could see... We could see in the press box that the finish was just to roll it under him. And he tried to go high and curl it round him. And it just made it so easy for the keeper. Yeah. And then the one later on as well where he got into the box and the ball really was for Lewis O'Brien across yes. the box for a tap yeah, in. Yeah, it was. And he, instead he, he did about three dummies before he eventually got a shot off, which was then blocked. So, yeah, a little bit frustrating and, and he's not had the season we expected him to have. But I think I think we've, we've maybe had this discussion before, but when you look through the squad and you look through where everyone was at the start of the season and where they are now in their performance levels, he really is an exception in terms of yeah. being a player who has not improved uh, over the course of the season. I think that has been the big story over the course of the season is the improvement mm. in, in practically everyone across that squad. So, yeah, it is what it is. And as I say, they've got a few games. I agree with you. I wouldn't make loads of changes for every game. I wouldn't make five or six changes every game. But I might do two or three each game to get a few of those kinds uh, yeah. of players into the lineup. I, I would do two. I'd do yeah. no more than two. And and just keep your shape, keep keep your momentum. But yeah, it's just it's just nice for us to be talking about this sort of thing at this stage of the season, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, there's a, a funny moment in the press conference where Carlos had to check with DTS how many points Town had, and Dave's slip of the tongue said forty three uh, <laughs> instead of seventy three. And Stu Rayner from the Yorkshire Post just said that's force of habit, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Well, it you know it it has been, hasn't it? We're joking about it, but it has been. It's been three years of pretty thin gruel, you know. Ultimately, and and you've just got to you've just got to revel in this. And I, I think I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but I think it's worth saying that when you get to the playoffs, they are a bit of a lottery. Whatever happens, this has been a stellar season, absolutely stellar season. It's exceeded our expectations. Our expectations were a little bit higher than most because if you remember me and you did say the defensive recruitment alone should see them into mm. mid-table and out of relegation harm's way for the majority of the season, but neither of us expected third did we? <laughs> no. Well, that's it. I mean, you know, and it's players that were already there that have helped them out in attack. It's the recruitment in defence, but in attack, it's, you know, likes of Sorba Thomas and Danny Ward, the improvement in them. You know, those two players alone have just been so instrumental to town this season. You know, that you look at the number of goals and assists they've got between them. There's no way town are up in third without the performances of those two players. So, yeah. And by the way, because I know DTS does listen. I know, Dave, that you were telling Carlos the number of games, not the number of points. But, you know, it's not as good a story then, is it? Uh, right, Dave, have we got anything else to add? Uh, just uh, that I think the Icarus remix of uh, Ray Morris's Do It is better than the original single, and I think we just have to accept that, Steve. Are there any other remixes that are better than the original? Yeah, there's a couple of U2 remixes. Bear in mind, U2, I think, are a dreadful band that are are actually listenable so i would put them straight up there and there's several more but i'm not gonna bore people now have you ever heard the original of ignition i've heard the remix to ignition what room in the house did you listen to it in i was not in the kitchen i was in the dining room and it had just arrived from the kitchen well he's a dreadful man anyway so let's move on yeah let's not talk about that guy Lovely. We'll see you next time on Who To Be A Terrier. 
after the Barnsley game. It'll be early next week sometime. Oh, and just a quick plug, by the way. Dave and I are doing an event for HTSA next week. We've There's a film that they've put together uh, about the 1922 FA Cup win. It's imaginatively titled How Huddersfield Town Won the FA Cup. Uh, I'm a contributor to the film, so you can come and watch me being awkward and watch my B-reel footage of stepping out onto the stands and looking like I'm staring off into the middle distance wistfully. That's a lot of fun. Uh, but Dave is hosting the event. There's a QA and a as well. It's at Magic Rock on Thursday, the 28th of April. If you go to HTSA's Twitter feed, they're advertising it on there. You can register your interest. And I believe they've actually had a good uptake already they've had quite a few people responding saying that that they're going to be coming along so get in quickly if you do want to come uh it's me matt shaw from andy takes that chance and doug thompson formerly of the examiner of course are the panel with david hartrick here hosting and it should be a lovely night uh and we are going to be talking about modern day town to be honest we're probably going to end up talking about modern day town more than we end up talking about town 1922 yeah, <laughs> it, yeah it's worth saying the q a but not going to we're not going to ask you for questions questions about the FA Cup winning side it's very much open season yeah so come along to that it'd be great to see you all and we will see you on the podcast next time as well goodbye goodbye